listening to music in public. I am very private about it. I don't know why. I find it so personal. I don't like other people to know what I'm listening to. Well, no, yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. And I, I think. And not just because it's usually like Broadway show. <laughs> right. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You're listening to episode 141 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. My guest today has been a long time in returning in several respects. It's been about two years since her last full appearance on the show. And as far as doing a complete appearance where we do Know Your Enemy and everything like that, it goes back even longer. The last time she was, she got the, the whole nine yards um, was, uh, was actually three years ago. So to say she's overdue is, uh, is something. But um, that's even more inexcusable considering that, you know, I'm married to her and I live with her. Um, she, is, uh, she is my darling wife. She is also the director and talent behind Braingasm, the uh, documentary film that's in the works about ASMR. Don't worry, I don't exactly know what it is either. Lindsay Ragoni is here. How are you, hon? I'm good. How are you? Uh, you, you look very comfy. You are far more reclined than most po- <laughs> matinee cast guests. I ins- this, this one I insist to be doing from a reclined position. I see. On episode 141, we will be reviewing Amy, the new documentary about Amy Winehouse. We're going to flip the record over to play the other side and take a moment to go further down the spiral. First, we need to learn more about Lindsay. This is Know Your Enemy. You don't like players. That's what you say. What you really wouldn't mind a millionaire. You don't like ballers. They don't do nothing for you. What you'd love a rich man six foot two or taller. So Lindsay first appeared on episode one. She was my first guest ever where we learned that the first film she'd ever seen was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, E.T., and Return of the Jedi. They all happened around the same time. The last film she'd seen at the time was New Moon, as in like the Twilight series, New Moon. Oh, God. Yeah. The worst film she'd ever seen at the time was The Watchmen, and the unseen classic or essential was Ben-Hur, which you still haven't seen. No, I saw it in 70 millimeter. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. You're not thinking of Spartacus? Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> okay, see, never right. mind. Okay. Sorry, let's rewind. No, I no. have not seen Ben-Hur. There we go. I totally was just thinking of Men in Loincloths and then... Yeah, yeah. No, and it's still on our shelf. Uh, you you next appeared on episode 37, where we learned the film that you like that nobody else does is Back to the Beach. The film everybody else digs that you don't. Oh, I should watch that tonight. No. The film everybody else digs that you do not is 2001 A Space Odyssey. I've changed my mind. What is your new answer? No, I'm saying I don't dislike 2001 anymore. Oh, okay. I, we had just seen it, and I think it needed... It needed It needed to room set. to breathe. Yes, it does. Yes. The film that made you cry was The Iron Giant, and in the movie of your life, you would be played by Leslie Nope. There are two questions that went unasked, both because one didn't exist at the time of episode one, and the other one just didn't get asked in that slapdash cacophony that was episode 37 when I wasn't there. So I'll ask you really quickly, because you uh, just give me the first answer that comes to mind, the film that you wish you had made. The first one that comes to mind, my mind is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Okay, and what are you watching next? Back to the Beach. Oh, God, no. 
Not, well, you just started not that. if I have no. anything to say. Well, actually, it, no. what I'm watching next is inspired by you because your viewers should know that I only learned this week that you are very ignorant when it comes to the Rocky series. Oh, God. And that's unacceptable for so many reasons. You have not seen Rocky Four, which after the first Rocky is by far the best Rocky. And don't think we're just going to sit and watch Rocky Four. You we're will building be up. Rocky no, no, no. We're building up to Rocky Four. Good luck with that. And then when that's done, we're going to watch Rocky Five and sure. then Rocky Balboa, which I have not seen. I think but... I'm learning why you've only been a two-time guest. <laughs> Time for round three, Jen. What is the film that made your love of film turn a corner? Okay, I've been thinking about that one. It's a really hard question because Thank you. because I've never not loved film since like I first saw a film when I was a kid. I was obsessed with films. Okay, so there was never like a moment when I saw a film where I, it, it was like this is this is where I want to be a filmmaker because of this or this. So the only thing that I could think of, because I guess it kind of made me think of film different, um, I'm going to say West Side Story, okay. which you know is one of my absolute favorite movies. Yes. The reason why I say that, where it turned a corner, is because the first time I ever saw West Side Story, I loathed it. Really? I completely hated it. I feel like I've, I might have told this story not before. On, not, on, not on my show, you haven't. I, I thought it was, I thought the choreography was ridiculous. Remember, I was very young. I was okay. like an early, early teenager. And then, I don't know when I next saw it, maybe it was like a year later, I rewatched it, and all of a sudden, everything that I thought was so ridiculous the year before was genius. And I think that that's probably the movie that made me think think about films differently okay um don't make like i i do trust my first impression but i think about things a little more maybe because of that because it's one of my all-time favorite films and i was so harsh on it the first time i saw it so you're the musical person uh and your favorite musical along with headwing and the angry inch is greece was that before or after greece you saw oh West long Side Story. after I was nine when I so do you think you do you think you were just being informed by Greece and because of that you weren't prepared for well, something more classic I'm trying to think of other musicals like I knew Greece and Annie and Newsies but those are all okay so those 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 are all very kid friendly and teen and friendly I, yes. this is the first class it sounds to me well it's it's not I wouldn't say it's the first classic because I mean I'd seen Singing in the Rain which you, which is another one like in my top five along with West Side, West Side Story um. And I can't think of other class. I knew an American in Paris for some reason. I don't remember why. I think I, I was into Gene Kelly things. Yeah, okay. But West Side Story is just a very different, like, um, the choreography and that's different. So it and sounds like this was your first experience of seeing what a film musical could be. Uh, you know, like, after you gave it some time to settle and really, like, you came into it and it wasn't what you expected. And when you came back around to it and you'd seen a few more musicals, then it, it the, you know the nerve endings kind of burned in. Yeah, I th and I think what really threw me back the first time I saw it was the fight ballet. Oh, sure. And I don't, I'd don't, i never seen something like that before, so I was like, oh my god, they're like... They're dance fighting. They're dance fighting, which now you know I there's nothing I love more than a dance right. fight or an yeah. angry dance. I love that. What was your first date movie? <sighs> okay, you asked me this, and I told you I didn't remember, and your response was think on it it'll come to you i don't know how many times i have to tell you it's a memory that i do not have and okay. thinking on it it's not going to come so all i'll say is our first date movie and i hope i'm getting this right because i can remember two and i can't remember which one's first is wings of desire that is correct because it was could have also been casablanca no yes no yes the signs of the lambs one that's not signs. red dragon right did we not see that like one we of our first dates like in the first saw like, that but that was like that was like a fifth or sixth date but not every date was a movie. I believe that was no, our second but we, movie. No, we saw Casablanca and Wings of Desire before Red Dragon. I have no memory of seeing Casablanca. 
Yeah, we saw that. We saw them both at the same theater. The, the, I mean, I know I do have a memory of seeing that with you, but I I would have thought that was okay. like at least a few months in. But so, anyway, so your first movie, your first, first date movie with me was with Wings you of Desire. was Wings of Desire. In general, I have no no memory whatsoever. Before that, okay. You have? Do you remember the date? No. You don't remember? You, you remember that we went and saw Wings of Desire, but you, if I quizzed you, you could Oh, you're actually asking me the date that no, we not, saw Wings of Desire? Not the date of, of the year. No, 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 no. I mean, like, do you remember the evening? Yes. What do you remember? I don't want to say. I remember... I know one thing. <laughs> I was so tired. Yeah. I had worked a lot of hours. Right. I think I was doing two jobs or something. Uh-huh. I was so fatigued. And it's the first time in my entire like I have a sleeping disorder. I don't. I can't sleep after a sleeping pill. Lying in my cozy bed, <laughs> but for whatever reason, this particular night, I was struggling through that movie. Not that I didn't like it, and yeah. not that I didn't enjoy your call, but I had just you know it was we just kind of started dating. I didn't want to totally fall asleep, but it, I was in and out for that whole movie, and then I didn't want to. I didn't want you to judge me for it, so I was like, yeah, I, I would have judged. great, I loved it. Oh, no, I, I totally, I totally would have judged if you had to fall asleep. I was you, nervous the whole movie that you were going to look over and see me in a really long blink. Yeah. Were, uh, were you wearing your glasses? Like, were you, were you following it? I'm sure I... I don't... Was I... Did I not wear my glasses when I we first that, started That dating? I can't remember. I probably wore my glasses. I know you didn't wear your glasses on our first date. And, it has, and, sub, okay, it has like, subtitles, well, right? here's the thing. Like, I wouldn't have not seen... I wouldn't have not worn them for subtitles. I do know when I first... When you first came to meet me on our very first date, I didn't wear didn't them. Wear glasses, I was yeah, like, you threw me off. Yeah, I'm going to not wear my glasses and try to look good. But um, whatever. And were there... Was there any kind of... Was there any judgment on me that I... Like, for, probably for worse, but for better, that I was suggesting that we go see... Uh, a foreign film foreign black and white film for like our first movie date well, the, that was our third date ever yeah I mean it certainly impressed me really I would have thought that you would thought that was incredibly pretentious no you didn't I mean <laughs> you do have a little bit of film pretentiousness in you I'm Thank not you. gonna lie alright um, but that particular occasion it didn't occur to me that it was pretentious wow I'll take that, that nice. I, I, I learned that in you over the years that's fantastic. What is Love your you. yeah? What is your sick day movie? I have two. Of course you do. Up until a few years ago, it had always, always, always been Breakfast Club. Okay. If I was homesick, I watched the Breakfast Club. Why Breakfast Club? Because it's quite simple, and you can, if you're not feeling good, you can shut your eyes, and you're not going to miss anything. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's very dialogue. It's heavy. dialogue heavy movie, yeah. and I know it by heart. I can kind of drift in and out. Sure. And it's just comforting. It's it's a movie I know. Okay. Um. The last few years, I know you don't really love when I do this, but I find that I find it nice to watch the entire extended edition of the Lord of the Rings trilogy when I'm homesick. Oh, that's not where I thought you were going with this. Oh, I don't know. But I do it every time I'm homesick. You do, but you also start throwing on Harry Potter movies. Oh, I've been trying to mix it up because I felt like I was watching Lord of the Rings too much because I get sick a lot. Okay. But my reason for it, again, I know, I mean, yes, if you close your eyes, you're going to miss a lot because it's a more visual movie. Yes. But if you're really sick and you can't get out of bed, that's you don't have to make a decision for 12 hours. You just say, I'm going to put on Lord of the Rings. I already know, like, when I can have my eyes closed and I'll hear Pippin go, where are we going? And I'm like, oh, I got to get up and switch the discs. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so it's just, you just kind of submit to 12 hours of an amazing yeah. Fantasy. Well, yeah, you know, like that. That's you know, you, I I certainly understand the I don't have to move part of it. That that's certainly an appeal that you don't have to pick up a remote even. Like even if you're streaming, well, I mean, I do got to get up every. Well, two I mean, hours but think switch, about it. But... Even if you're watching like the digital copy, like if you were streaming it or if you're watching it on a key or something like that, you don't even need to grab the remote 
for three or four hours. Uh, you know, for me, it's more the decision because you know every like you and I when we we have so many movies here. Yeah, and it's there like, was what a Mickey Schumer sketch about that where it was like, well, we can watch that and I can take an Ambien and the, the, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it's like I want to watch that, but not now. Which okay. you and I both know, I have a PVR full of I want to watch it, but not now. Ethel Merman. No, Esther there, Williams. There was a marathon for just because people won't, right. are wondering what you're why you're saying that. There was a TCM marathon. People so don't I wonder taped, why I say anything. I taped all of them. Gotcha. What was the last film to leave you speechless? I don't even know if I should say this. It's Go so embarrassing. It. No, please. Because it's not speechless. Oh, this I know what. No, do tell this story, please. <laughs> I, okay, I did not put this on on purpose. I want to clarify that on the beginning. I was watching something more respectable. What was I watching? I was watching. Pagan Love Song on the PVR, which is an Esther Williams aqua musical. Not Ethel Merman. Not Ethel Merman. Um, It ended. Okay. And I was lying on the couch. And the PVR switched to live. And a movie was just starting. Okay. And it was, I don't even know what it's called, but it was the Saved by the Bell movie. Not the Saved by the Bell movie, but the unauthorized biography of Saved by the Bell, where it's like a reenactment Right. Of <laughs> Save by the Bell yeah. people. Yeah. And it was so bad. And I couldn't stop. Like, you know, when you're watching something, you're like, oh, wow, this is a train wreck. And you, for whatever reason, you just keep, you came in and you saw me watching it. And I was like at the last scene. At I that was point. judging you so hard in that moment. I I'm walked judging in myself the, a little I bit. I walked in the door and I had no idea what was on. And, and, you know, you're like, it's, I just, I couldn't change it, you know? And you had the remote with you and everything. It wasn't even like the remote was across the room. Um, is it now? I get the feeling that a lot. I of feel these, like I'm still speechless. I don't even know what to say about. I get. It. I get the feeling that a lot of these Lifetime movies, because because it was off the Lifetime Network. I get. The, I almost wonder. Do they know they're bad? Do you think they're actually trying? Oh, no, I don't think they're trying to be bad. I mean, it's a Saved by the Bell movie. How good? But was I mean, it but be? It, this happens all the time when Lifetime does a movie about something like that. It it, it always they just turns, don't have, they don't put money behind it. That's why. So it's just, it's it's just in, it's just ineptitude. It's not ineptitude. Because I can't just, believe they're, they're that... cheap and quick. Like they don't. Oh, okay. They don't. Um, it's not that the people involved they just don't aren't care good that at much. it. They just they want to get. No, no, no. I, I I wouldn't say that because I I certainly have worked on shows that aren't the greatest shows in the world. But we all try. But if you're given a certain amount of money and with that money you can get a certain level of talent, like for the cast right. and you know you kind of have they don't have a lot of money for music budgets, which makes a huge huge oh, difference yeah. oh, and. Yeah. There, you know, there's all these. It just is what it is. There, it's like it's like an extended soap opera. Is the I'm so excited scene in there? Oh yeah, they oh, make. Was a, it? Oh my god, they made a big deal about it, and it was supposed to be like um, Elizabeth Berkley, and I think it was her and the guy Mark Pavlosier. Yeah. No, or maybe it was um, Mary Lopez. Like they were, they were kind of petitioning the show to have like serious. Um, huh, like really? they wanted more drama and the network kept pushing back going like it's a comedy it's modern drama blah 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 and then they get the script and she's like oh my god Jesse's gonna be hooked on pills and they were like all excited about it wow it was like a big deal you're and then, almost making me want to see this and, and that's then not she a had thing. to reenact the scene oh god oh it was no, great no, no. but not great you know what I mean great in a bad way yeah right. I was kind of speechless because I didn't even know what to say after it's, the movie uh, ended this is so leaving bad. me incredibly speechless and I didn't even really see it and finally what is the movie quote that would be your epitaph I'm sure there's better ones, but the only, I, I didn't put much thought into this. So it's just the quote that I kind of, my favorite quote from Hedvig, which is, it's, it's not even a quote though, because it's like two. It's a back and forth. It's a back and forth. So it doesn't really make sense, but it's the quote I like. And it's, have, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And the answer is no, but I love his work. And I just feel like that sums me up. <laughs> I don't even have anything to I'll add to that, it, but I just know, feel like that—that's me. Uh, you know, not not that it has anything to do with anything we're going to be talking about today, but I will tell listeners that if you want to see 
the epitome of awkwardness and fear. You should uh, be present the next time Lindsay Ragoni walks into a Catholic church for a baptism or a funeral or a wedding, because for a woman who grew up 18 years in the Catholic church system, you will never see anybody more terrified or confused as to what's going on. I just, she has no idea when to stand, when to <laughs> kneel, when to say, and also with you, it is a wonderful sight. It's so. just, it's very chanty. And I, freaks me out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, it's an old No movie. offense to, like, the fellow. I mean, yeah. I, I can say it because I grew like up it. Oh, yeah. But. yeah. You know. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. When I get you back in another 141 episodes, we'll get your fourth round. Uh, but for now, we're going to go on to the new slang for this episode, which is uh, the first time we are fully covering a documentary. So I'm really excited about this. We're going to talk Wait, about... Wait, that we're... You and I are... No, in... the show. And, and we haven't... Why? You fail. I know. Like, we do them for hot docs all the time, but we've never done a full episode dedicated to the documentary. So this is a first. We did our first Western a few weeks ago. You're married to a documentary. Right? I know. So we're going to talk about Amy right after this. Come on back. We only Directed by Asif Kapadia. It's the documentary about Amy Winehouse, who began as a talented teenage jazz prodigy in England. She rose to high prominence in late 2006 with the release of her sophomore album, Back to Black, and almost immediately became a symbol of excess and addiction. So it's fitting that you and I are here doing the first full matinee cast dedicated to a documentary since it was you who got me into them back in 2002. With that in mind, I feel like rock documentaries live by their own set of rules because so many of them are, in fact, only publicity pieces put together by the acts or the labels that peddle their wares. So, pop quiz, hotshot. Oh no, you know I'm bad. I'm bad at that. What makes a good documentary? What makes a good rock documentary? And is Amy one of them? Okay, why didn't you warn me that you're gonna ask because me a it's complicated question? Because it's a pop question. quiz, hotshot. Oh, you, well, there's no answer to that. You have. It's, it's the same to me. A documentary is no different from a narrative film. It's some films are good, and some are, like a doc. There's not a thing that makes a documentary good. But there must be. Why must there be? There's so many can different make, elements. There's like a, thousands of different little things within any what film. Is the, to you, what is the most important thing that makes a documentary the succeed? The storytelling. Okay. So what makes like, it... for, for example, if I go back to um, w- one thing that I thought was really the storytelling was really great was the Paradise Lost series. Right. And every time I because I, I think I think I've seen a couple of them more than once when I watch them they're because they're dealing with years of story. Sure. Sure. And I get so excited. Like I mean, it's it's a sad, horrific subject matter, but th- the way that they've taken the editor and the director have taken years worth of story and it's they don't necessarily tell it chronologically right it's sometimes it works but they they jump back and forth in the way that where the story kind of flows naturally and i know how much work goes into that you know what you're reminding me of is how people like people who are orators are good storytellers how you know how like you've got a friend who if you're gonna recount what happened on vacation get this person to tell it because they tell it well yeah. That's what you're saying, is that there is that inherent in documentary. And every story has a different 
way that it should be told. Or, or not that it should be told, but that it could be told. Right. Which is why sometimes you get a subject that's covered a few times, and eventually you come back saying, you know what, this is the documentary that did it the best. Yeah. So the second part of that question was, what makes for a good rock documentary? Still storytelling, or do, or do you want oh, no, to augment? I think it's absolutely no different, because I, I would love to say the music should be good, but at the same time, you, you can make an amazing rock documentary about a musician who's not good and doesn't have good music. Sure. It's... It's all about the story. Okay. It really helps in a rock documentary if you have a great musician. And something like this, for example, um, I think what separates it for a rock documentary is that rock artists, you know, they come with a big fan base. Yeah. Who know them inside out. Yes. If you're an Amy Winehouse fan, you, you've seen everything that's been public. This film, we're seeing stuff that no Amy Winehouse fan has seen before. That makes it a great rock documentary. Okay. Like, if you go see a Stones doc and you see the same clips, like, you know, like the clip of of um, Mick Jagger saying, oh, I don't want to be rocking out. You know, I, I will tour 60, for like another yeah. five or six yeah. years or whatever he says. I mean, it's a great line. Yeah. We've seen it 20 times. Yeah. So. And finally, is Amy a good documentary and a good rock documentary? Yes, to both. Okay. So for me, just to, just to give my own answer to that, what I've always said makes for a good rock documentary is if you don't care about the band. Because I feel like a lot of these films are made just for the fans. It's just a neat little postcard to give about whatever album or whatever tour happens to be the subject. And just, you know, let's talk about that for, for an hour. But if you can make something that transcends and just becomes a great work in itself, uh, that, that if I, you know, you couldn't give a crap about Amy Winehouse, but you still end up coming away from this movie engaged and entertained, that's to me the sign that you made a good rock documentary. Mm-hmm. Now this is kind of funny because we, it's hard, and it's hard for me to say if that's the case for this because we do like Amy Winehouse. That's true. And now, yeah, I don't we, know we how entertained the, someone else would be if they don't care about her. It's it's funny. This is uh, the first time in a while that I've seen the film um, that we're discussing with my guest, so that, that that's kind of cool. But at the same time, we uh, we're recording on Friday night. We watched it on Monday, and we haven't talked about it all week. We've talked about it just very very. I kept trying to bring it up, and to I'm you, like, and pop, you're pop, like pop, 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 pop. Yeah, shut exactly. me down. Yeah, I don't like yeah, not yeah. discussing a movie after. Um, what did you think of Amy? Well, I loved it. Did okay. you love it? I liked it a lot. You didn't love it. In some ways, it moved me. In other ways, it didn't. There's something I really love. Okay. It, I or something I dislike, I should say, is I'm not a big fan of narration. Okay. I like the story to tell itself in a documentary. That's and it's not not all documentaries because sometimes you can't do it. It's actually easy. Like as a filmmaker, it's much easier to tell the story with narration. Sure. It's very difficult to craft something with just what you've been provided. Right. And they didn't, not only did in this film, do they not have narration, but they don't show any talking heads. None. No, the only time we see anything that's even close to talking heads is in the later going, the film incorporates footage from other projects that were being done. So we see... Like Questlove yeah, talking briefly. We see, Well, not so much Quest, but we see Amy's boyfriend, uh, Blake, who uh, is one of the... We learn is one of the causes of her uh, addiction. Um, he sits down for an interview, so we see him, Mike, talking to the camera, but it's not part of this film. Man, it's actually part of another film. Don't you hate him? I, I try not well, to hate people, speaking but... of, the, the other person who we see talk <clears throat> to camera is her father, Mitch, who is also doing a story about her. Him, I really hate because the one thing that we see about this film, everybody got their impression about Amy Winehouse as her career went along. 
and there was a lot of kind of quiet discussion about what it was that was fueling her addiction and what it was that was fueling her to have this fall from basically being right on top of everything like she had this rise almost out of nowhere she had one small album uh, uh, which I learned about through a magazine a, a British rock magazine called Bang I was looking for like alternatives to Rolling Stone and Spin around like 2003 2004 and I found this magazine called Bang and they were talking about this singer named Amy Winehouse who they described as having Nora Jones voice mixed with uh, Kim Cattrall's Sex in the City demeanor they said, if you can imagine somebody who speaks like Samantha and sings like Nora Jones, that's Amy Winehouse. And I said, that sounds fascinating. So I started listening to her and that was um, on her first album. And then she kind of went away for like a year. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe that was the end of that. And she came back with Back to Black and almost like right around the time Back to Black latched and took off, not just latched, but took off. She started becoming this um, embodiment of excess and uh, a substance abuse and the questions at the time was does she just not get it does she does she have a real problem can she lick it what's going on and this film really goes into what happened and i had almost forgotten because she she died four years ago almost five years ago yeah um i had almost forgotten how much in the media we'd seen her downfall yeah because i couldn't it's you know it's hard to think of now, but I remember as I was watching this and I recognized some of the paparazzi photos that were, they were showing. It's like oh my god, yeah, I remember every day that I opened the internet there was another photo of her going oh my god, look how skinny she's gotten. Yeah, look at her covered in scars and look at her dirty shoes. It was just every day like she was just hounded by the paparazzi. So was it kind of a shock or a surprise? How did you take to the early part of this film? We spend we spend about an hour on her her teenage years, her her getting signed to a label and Frank. That's about the first hours, just all of that. And then, and like the creation of Back to Black. Was that that image of her surprising to you? I mean, it wasn't surprising because obviously she was a kid at some point and she But just up. seeing her in that way. It was refreshing. Really? Because, yeah, I mean, the the film opens with a great scene and it's it's just a home video of, you know, three teenage girls, and it's one of their birthdays. So one of the girls starts to sing happy birthday to her, and Amy just kind of cuts in and starts singing with an insane voice. And when it pans over to you and you see how old she is, like, that voice should not have been coming out of that girl. Yeah, she's like 17. And she just, the confidence, like, when she was singing happy birthday and she was sounding like, you know, this sexy, older jazz songstress. Right. And she sang it confidently, and, like, she knew she could sing, right? I mean... And I think it jumps shortly after that. You, you hear audio from, she was in like a, some jazz choir or jazz yep. band. And you could hear the audio from like a, a teenage performance of hers. And you're like, what is that? That's a child. Yeah. That singing. It's really refreshing to see that. I was really, I, the, the, the part of that that really did it for me was hearing her talk around the time that Frank was released about how success to her would be just the complete... Um, freedom to create music to have no other responsibilities and just be able to go into the studio whenever she want and crank out music like that it, it, it's it's the way that you hear about how like Wayne Gretzky used to live to just play hockey out on his back pond that was all she wanted to do yeah and hearing her hearing her that way they also describe her one of her agents describes her as gobby which you know it, it mouthy if you're you know North American and you don't understand what gobby is 
and seeing that in her seeing that real brashness that was unencumbered by like any substances was to me like what, probably one of the highlights of this movie just that first 45 minutes to an hour of seeing her as her younger more lucid self mm-hmm. um seeing all that and i loved the filmmaking tool of just covering this with wall to wall footage like it was all home videos um personal photos again we i mentioned we don't see talking heads you just hear the, the interviews voices and yeah. they would just put a title on screen and tell you and even the the addition of having her like for the early parts they had her lyrics on screen yeah. while she was singing and you could see like um some of the actual notes that she made and it looks like child's handwriting she's got little bubbly hearts yeah over but when you hear these songs i mean they're really deep you know the lyrics are deep but you see like this is this was a really young girl who wrote it, it was a nice contrast right rather than a, you know a standard documentary where you just a narrator will be like amy was born in you know this year and this like it i mean it's funny because we've seen interesting things with with interviews before like do you remember live forever when they were talking about the rivalry between Blur and Oasis. Yeah. And you could tell just by the disposition of the two guys cutting back and forth between their interviews, you could tell how that rivalry went. Oh, yeah, and I'm absolutely... Which, I'm, amusingly, in the in the 14 years since, that rivalry has now flipped, and Blur has just come out looking so much better than Oasis. Uh, I, and there's nothing wrong with showing interviews. It's just this was a different way to tell the story. And a be- great way to and tell because you know Amy's not here to kind of put her word in I feel like this was their way to inject as much as her voice yeah. into the film as possible did the device of using her lyric ever because we see it on screen over and over sometimes she's singing and we actually see it going along the screen in this kind of script did that ever get old for you you know what it didn't because as like a fan of hers those songs I know them by heart I know all the words I can sing along but there was just something more powerful to see the words because even though I know the words you maybe don't process them so when like when she for example you know gets her heart broken by Blake who then becomes who later will become her husband but when he first breaks up with her and they're showing um, the lyrics of the song and you see it and you've just heard the story of what just all her friends are talking about. Oh, she was so heartbroken and she just had a complete breakdown. And then the lyrics come up. And yeah. then it just puts new meaning to the lyrics. You're, it's almost like you're hearing them new. I think what it really underlined for me, that I this, this was the biggest surprise of this film for me. I never really appreciated how insanely gifted a lyricist she is. Her writing just cuts so deeply. And I, th- I think... A lot of people didn't really understand how much of her music she was involved in. We're in an age where pop stars are crafted, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like there, there was a man of craft that goes into Madonna, that goes into Michael Jackson, that goes into Beyonce, that goes into everybody. Well, they, they do mention in the film she did not she seem did not happy want to, no. about having the same manager as S Club Seven and the Spice Girls. Right, but the thing is, we seem to think that a lot of these, you know, unless. These Who both people, were manufactured. Right. Unless these people are friggin' Leonard Cohen standing out there on stage, you know, or, or Tori Amos, we seem to think that there's a certain amount of image that goes into it, including songwriting. Now, you know, so we forget how much involvement she had in these songs and just strictly on a lyrical level, reading them as you hear like the emotion that goes into a voice, it really gave me mad amounts of respect for how great a lyricist she was yeah. even even at a young age like a lot of these songs that didn't make it onto Frank you know like that she was writing at like 19 and 20 
she's writing some really deep stuff for 19 and 20. There's one song that she sings with just a, a guitar on a couch mm-hmm. and that she's like demoing and I'm like, that's stuff that like a 40 year old would write. How do you know to write that at 21? And, and you know, and if it wasn't for underlining the lyrics in that way, I don't know that I would have caught it. Do you think that this film points fingers or or I I don't think it intentionally does, but I think it's hard to know when you're watching this and you know before they even get to it, you know what happened to her. Everybody who goes into this film is going to know, you know, how she died, why yeah. she died. It's very difficult to watch certain scenes with people in her life and not I mean, she there's lyrics in rehab where she says, you know, my daddy thinks I'm fine. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember at the time, you know, when she was performing that everywhere, and you see her in the news, and you know, she she's clearly ill in all these photos, and they have they would have interviews with her where she wasn't really all there, and then you think like, oh, was that just a lyric because it rhymed or something? And then you watch this film, you're like, oh no, her father actually told her she didn't have to go to rehab. Yeah, she was gonna go. Yeah. So it's Mitch really does not come out of this movie well. He doesn't. I know he's. I've read he's tried to distance himself from it, and I don't blame him. Um, well, I mean, that said, we still got to remember, he still was her father. Yeah. Um, I'm sure this is very hard for him, but I don't think he maybe did right by her. She clearly needed help, and he would show up with a reality crew, because he, he, he did a TV show, I guess, like yeah. Life with Amy or yeah. something. Uh, that just did not seem to be what she needed at that point. But for my... And now, Ang- don't even get me started on Blake, because I no. want to punch him well, in the face. Well, I was going to say, I, like, I think between <laughs> like, the two of them, I think oh. Blake actually comes out better... But you I, do? I thought I he... thought. Oh my god! I thought Mitch came out terribly. In this okay, movie. first of all, I thought all... if nothing else, like Mitch actually gets more blame because he was the one who kept her working. He basically became a dependent on his daughter and had her going back out on stage and had her perform. Like Blake had her was working smuggling her before... drugs when she was trying to get clean. But but even if she's if she's doing drugs and she's doing drugs in the I I really in the end I got the impression out of this film that it wasn't so much the substance abuse that that broke her as much as it was the pressure to get working again. But she, but it was also I mean when she was doing there's a scene where she's doing a duet with Tony Bennett and she's and, and there's talk of her doing jazz work with oh my god I did not know this this was probably the biggest revelation of the film for me doing jazz work with uh, a super group that would inco- in, that would involve Questlove, Raphael Sadiq, and Moe's Def. Are you kidding me? I would pay like thousands of dollars to watch that. And that was what she was talking about doing. But in a few years, when she was ready, it was it was her father who was really saying, you know, you gotta gotta work again. You know, you got people depending on you. And and Blake wasn't doing that. Blake, you know, Blake was giving her drugs. My my issue with him was you know, he dumped her and broke her heart, which, uh, to be fair, we got back to black out of that. Yeah. So, but all of a sudden, she, back to black, is successful, and she starts making money, and he just pops back into her life, like, oh, yeah, by the way, I love you. Yeah. He was completely just hanging out. And then at the end, that interview at the end, when he's saying, like, I'm a good-looking guy, I work out, I don't need to put up with this shit. Sorry, I swear you don't want that's, me to No, yeah, that's fine. But... I have never hated somebody, I think, more no. than him at that moment because he just used her. And then I think not only did was he providing her with drugs, but I think he gave her a hell of a lot of reasons to escape. Yeah, that that is true. That is true. And, like, at the same time, I get the feeling 
I, I don't completely think that she was crying out for help, but we hear stories of like her bulimia. We, you know, everybody around her like tried to sort of tried to get her on the right path, but I feel like everybody in this movie. I think it's a good thing that a lot of them aren't on camera because I get the feeling that a lot of them are still processing this. You get the hunch that a lot well, of her, it hasn't. It's very recent. But I mean, like a lot of her friends, a lot of her managers, they're looking back now and they're saying, you know, we knew, we knew, we knew, we should have, you know we should have seen this and this and this, and we saw it and we didn't. But it do did it. sound like they did see it. Like her friends, she does seem like she had like really good. You can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. Yeah. Her friends were clearly trying to help her. Yeah. They're, her friends gave her tough. They they it sounds like they tried different things. They you know just tried to support her and be there. And then when that didn't work, they gave her tough love and said, look, we're not going to see you again until you clean up your act. Yeah. Um. You there were stories about that bodyguard who was yeah. just like, no, you can't go out tonight. Well, and he comes across really well. <laughs> he too. does. Come he across comes across really like well. he was one of the best things for her. But you. Uh, the bottom line is, even though, you know, she had this shitty boyfriend slash husband and her father was kind of pushing her, she was a grown woman. Yeah. And... Was she? She was a kid. She died at 27. Most of this happened when she was 24. But you know what? That's... It's... Most of this was her... It's her responsibility. Even stuff as... You know, I get that she's an artist. Yeah. And the drugs aside, that that's a tragedy and it's a disease and, you know, it's in her system. She can't really do much about that. Yeah. But, because I'm, you know, as someone who works in a creative medium, I know they were saying, oh, it was really hard on her because, you know, Back to Black was a success and she wanted to move on. She didn't want to sing those songs anymore. Yeah. I get that, but that's what being a professional musician is all about. If you expect to be paid millions of dollars, you're going to have to sing those songs. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to go to a concert of an artist that I love and just want them to be constantly experimenting with new stuff. You... Like, I've given them my money, I've paid, bought their albums and stuff. That's just part of it. And if she really didn't want it, she shouldn't have been doing it at all. Yeah. So that that was the only thing that kind of irritated me about the process was her just being like, oh, I don't, you know, I want to, why can't they just let that go so I can do news? That's not life. Well, I, I think the real... The, not to sound totally harsh and No, but I think here, the, but. the thing that really uh, came through for me watching this movie was when you remember that she was more interested in jazz and neo-soul than she was in pop... And how artists like that have a very, very, very long career, like right, basically right up until they croak, right? It's not the same thing as a starlet who, you know, like there's the running joke of once they turn fill in the age, you know, the, 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 the Amy Schumer joke about the last effable day. Yeah. It's in jazz. It's for both for men and women. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's equal footing. You can, you basically, you can just go until you die. Well, and she t- was just getting started. And Tony Bennett makes a comment in this where he says she a jazz singer doesn't want to play in front of in a stadium. No, a jazz singer wants to play in a small club and they want to look out and see all the faces of the people they're yeah. singing to. He said she should never have been on stage with fifty thousand people in front of her. She no. wasn't that type of singer. And that she wasn't me, that type of soul. She, and that to me is the tragedy that really comes through in this movie that you never really consider because she burned so bright so quick. Mm-hmm. We actually got a chance to see her. It was the only time she ever played in Toronto. At a very small venue, too. Re- like re- a little club. Yeah, the, I think if there was a thousand people in there, that was pushing it. I think it was somewhere between 500 and a thousand people in this club. We were walking up to this venue, and people were offering you money for tickets. Someone offered me a few hundred dollars, and I remember... You thought about it! Because it was like a $20 ticket. Yeah! And I think I was like not feeling... I think I had a headache, and I was like, oh, I mean, I think someone offered me like $450. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh... Maybe I should just sell my ticket. And I looked at you. I'm like, I'm going. If you want to sell yours, but I'm, I'm not. I mean, I couldn't, in good conscience, 
Like, I could not have ever taken that much money from someone anyway. Like, I would have felt awful about it. You're looking at me like I would have. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I couldn't have. I mean, now, as a memory, I'm sure it would have been worth it for that person, but... Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing, is that we saw her in April of 2007, and one thing we understand through this film, and we understood it at the time, is it was pretty much the end of her real lucidity. It was after that that shows started going sideways and she started having you know offstage antics and the substance abuse really really kicked in we got an inkling of that that night because she was she seemed she seemed a little drunk but it was she was she was very drunk but it was more affecting her in between songs she was still her voice was incredible i was gonna say she was still okay she she she, didn't have a lot of when when she sang she sounded great she sounded no no wait whoa no yeah when she sang she was Perfect. She was perfect, but there was no stage presence when she was singing. She was no. almost she just kind of stood there with in like with a blank stare and just sang it. Yeah. So there wasn't she wasn't Which is fine. Which is fine. because um, she sounded great. In between the numbers, it's a little sad to think about because she was It was the beginning of the end. She she had like she was kind of hit herself in the face and like, like with the mic. Little, with the mic, she had these little t- like ticks. Yeah. That, um and the audience members who were clearly big fans and knew her drink order were not helping because they kept buying her drinks and like passing them up on the stage and there was a lot of them like yeah. by the end of the show she it's like a I'm, row she's a very she was a petite petite woman and she the, we saw her drink a lot was was that the other thing with this movie was seeing like the transformation of seeing her of like when she was at like her healthy weight with Frank and kind of where she went because I again that's the part where I don't think you knew what she used to look like. She kind of gets back there later when she's singing with Tony well, Bennett. She looked really healthy when she was singing with Tony Bennett. I think that's part of the sad thing too, because it did seem that she was cleaning. She was kind of clean cleaning when up. she passed away. Yeah, but it was it was after effects. It yeah. was just years of of abusing her body. Yeah, it's um, it, it like I really think that this is the kind of movie that if people have their preconceptions, that this will really change them. It will, you know, as we've said, it will really give people an appreciation for the mass amounts of talent that she had and just her musical vocabulary because she she was able to articulate what was working what was not working what she wanted to do and you don't again you don't you don't get this impression i think the a lot highlight of, people... of this whole film is in the recording studio for back to black where oh son of a bitch you're stealing my souvenir yeah, no, i'm going to talk about this okay um one i loved that because it's such a great sounding album i loved seeing the studio and it was it was just a makeshift studio it had like blankets up on the wall behind her yeah she's in like a little tent yeah i mean it's it does not look professional and it's such a great sounding album and they in the film they you know they they start on it and they're zooming on her in this little booth but then they cut the music out and you could just hear her by herself singing and it was once she sounded I mean, even though she just chugged back like whiskey and cokes like nobody's business like they're water um that I I could just watch that scene over and over and and then at the, right at the end because she's got the I don't know if she'd heard it before but she had the the music the yep. produced music like in her earphones mm-hmm. there's that little last note at the end she goes oh I got really sad at the end there she was like it just was, you know and so you heard her it was almost like she just heard it for the first yeah. time that moment was that that's a moment this film is gonna when you think back on 
great rock musical rock uh, documentary moments. Yeah, that's always going to show up. I'm actually going to include that clip went online this today, so I'm actually going to include that in the show notes. If you're listening to this and you want to see what Lindsay's talking about, go to the post for this episode because you'll be able to see that scene. I'm going to embed it in the post. Um, okay, you didn't seal my souvenir because my souvenir goes right after that. Okay, so first of all, in that scene... Are we talking about souvenirs? We, we are talking about I souvenirs. Well, no, I, I think that that's your souvenir. If you're talking, tell me that's your high No, there was, there was actually there was something, something else. Okay. There was something, but, but my souvenir it. is at the end of Back to Black, it's two things. One, at the, at the outset of that song, you learn that it took them three hours to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God damn, a song that friggin' genius and amazing... You cranked it out in three hours. Also, I gotta say, just because I'd never really thought about it before, but hearing it stripped out with just her, her lyrics, yeah, it really um makes me realize I love the the producing of that song of Mark Ronson. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, that's yeah. some good shit. Yeah, that's that's the that, that's the uptown funk guy. You know that yeah, song? Like, like, you know that that that's his work. Um, no, for me, the souvenir is at the end of that scene. She bounces away and she's whistling and she's so pleased with herself. And I'm like, uh, in that moment, like that is pure joy and happiness with something that's just been accomplished. And it stands so opposite everything we know about her, like as a public image. That is the thing I will always hold on to is Amy Winehouse basically skipping through her studio, whistling to herself at a job well done. Mm -hmm. That to me is the souvenir. What do you, do you have an actual souvenir? You know what? Maybe it was just that. <laughs> it's a great moment. scene. It's a really great scene. Although I also loved when um, she was getting her Emmy. Yeah. And her Grammy. Her Grammy, sorry. Um, and they, you know, she wasn't physically there, so she was at like a party with like all her friends and family. And when they're looking at it on the monitor and Tony Bennett, she, I just loved her sobbing and she just looked stunned and she just goes, "Dad, it's Tony Bennett." Yeah. And I just loved that moment, even she- though it turns into a sad moment later. Well, and then, yeah, yeah. she says to her friend, Well, no, no, no. I, 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 no, I won't give that, that away. Yeah. Yeah. I won't give that away. It, it is. Um, so, obviously, we both think that this is a movie you should see. Um, we it's end... very... It, you do walk out of... I felt really crappy for a few hours after that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just felt... I was... I was you know, I, I, it was... It's a movie I was really, really affected by. Um, and, you know, and that's... That's but me again, knowing we, most of the story. But again, you asking me before what makes... A, a good, good documentary. Good documentary, or any. Uh, again, I think any movie. I think a movie that makes you feel something. I don't. Sure. No matter what it is, if it's like sadness or happiness or anger or laughter, like just something that makes you feel. And I felt. Yeah. Something. I don't even know what it was. I almost felt empty when it ended. Sure. But in a, in the right way. Yeah, yeah. We rate on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Lindsay Rigoni, what do you give Amy? I'm used to going out of five. Okay. And I would probably give this a four point five out of five. So, so three and a half. Three and three quarters. Okay. I'm at three and a half, and it's only because I know what a four-star documentary does to me, and this didn't quite get me there. If I'd come into this blind, if I didn't know any of this stuff, it would probably be a four, mm-hmm. um, because I knew a lot of this stuff, and it just it colored in some of the spaces, but it's still, but even I, I have knowing to say, all this, they, it still really do, affected me. When you see the shot of paramedics bringing like the body bag out of her apartment out of her house yeah that affected me more than i thought it would because we know i mean we knew going in that that was going to happen but there was just something we just spent two hours like it's a two hour and eight minute movie we just spent two hours with just this like it's almost exclusively her image that you see the entire time you've just hung out with her for two hours yeah and then just seeing that body bag come out is very upsetting well and then 
the end credits are her as a girl again. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, remember this person? That's who we just talked about. And you kind of just feel like you, you leave just feeling that little bit more empty. You're right. Um, for the love of God, people, see Amy. Um, I, it's playing in theaters right now. I think it's going to go to on demand very soon. Um, we both really, really like it. It's one of the best. I've also had Valerie in my head for the, since we saw it a week ago. So. Which, in case people don't realize, is the song that opened up this episode. Is um, Amy well, Winehouse's cover? There you go. I didn't know it opened yeah, up. I know. Amy, Magic. Amy Winehouse's cover of Valerie by the Zootons. Hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're both crazy. Maybe we're underselling this movie or overselling this movie. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, we're on matinee underscore CA or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. We are going to do a combined version of the other side right after this. So come on back. We're going to talk about some more movies. Attract me until it hurts to concentrate. Distract me. Stops me doing work I hate. And just to show him how it feels, I walk past his desk and heels. One leg resting on the chair From the side he pulls my head We're going to combine the other side this episode. Uh, we, we've kind of, we've actually had trouble with, with this particular movie because it's, it's hard when you get to rock docs not to just start suggesting other rock docs and, you know, we, we also, I will admit, we put this episode together somewhat on short notice. We're going to combine the other side. We're going to talk about two movies together. Now, when I pose this to you, your first answer was a documentary, which I'm just going to leave unspoken because it's going to come up with mine. Okay. Um, but you then changed your mind and you started seeing shades of one of your favorite movies in Amy. You went back to 1972 to a film directed by Robert Fosse and you're seeing um, patches of Cabaret. In Amy, so tell well, me. Well, I wouldn't say I'm seeing Pat. You just said you pick think a you, movie that would be a good okay, and why? Companion piece. So why would why would Cabaret be a good companion? Um, piece? and this is the movie because the play is different. The character of Sally Bowles is different in the movie and the play. So I'm just going to deal with the movie where it's played by Eliza Minnelli, who is insanely talented. Because mm-hmm. we both know we've seen the play. She's not supposed to actually be talented. Sally Bowles is not talented in the original works. Right. Um, but played by Eliza Minnelli, she's bursting with talent, and she you know she's playing this old club. But she doesn't do right by herself. She doesn't... She's someone who doesn't make the right choices for her own life, for her own good. You know, she... Ever. She was, like, sleeping around. She, you know, just drinks. And in the end, she has an offer for someone who's like, I'm going to make you happy. Let's get married. We'll have a kid. And then she secretly goes and gets an abortion. So it's... it's Spoilers for 1972. Yeah, sorry, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just a movie just kind of about this woman who's not maybe living up to her potential. Um, and not that Amy Winehouse wasn't, but she didn't necessarily... I, In the in the film, where it presents herself, um, maybe isn't surrounded by people who are going to do right by her. Kind of, you know, like the Kit Kat Club, it's kind of seedy and people are yeah, taking but, advantage of her. Yeah. Um, I just think it would kind of go nicely together. It would. like You know, and, and for, okay, so first of all, just on a base level, you have in both movies, you have... I was extremely thinking extremely talented women singing at the top of their game. Yeah, I was because just thinking as, of like I wanted I wanted to pair it with a strong female, a strong sure. female character. Oh yeah, no, that, that, and because that, I mean Amy Winehouse is like a powerful presence on which screen. Which I think that really got undercut in the public persona. I think that's, that's I think one of the best too, yeah. things about this movie is that it really shows you, like you said, how powerful she was, how 
when she had clear vision, how a, clear her vision was. She was a strong-minded woman, yeah. and I dig that in a girl. And, you know, um, and that's, you know, say what you will about Sally Bowles and her decisions. They were her decisions. Yeah, when, when I think of, I think of Amy Winehouse, I watch that movie, and I see this, you know, strong, talented woman, I gotta compare it to someone like Liza. Not yeah. in, like, just in the talent and the... Well, the other good thing about Cabaret as, as an example is, you know, we've talked before about divas and seeing them at their height right like okay so i will fully admit right now right this moment i don't totally get liza anymore i get liza oh, i get no, liza what's wait wait wait, wait. No. let me let's stay with me i get liza in the lucille two manner i think that she is really funny well she's a great actress okay. and she's very good at comedy yes okay I don't get her as now as a singer, but when you show me her at age 20-whatever that she is in Cabaret, and I'm hearing her go... It, it's like watching Muhammad Ali fight when he was 20. She was brilliant. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing. I have seen her live in the last few years. You know this. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit she does not have the range that she used to have. She's got smoker's voice. Her high, she kind of lowers things down. All like, singers do that. Elton yeah, John I did mean, she's, that. She's, Bono does that. She's an older woman. I, yeah. I'm not going to expect her to belt like the high notes that she used to do. So yes, she doesn't physically have the range that she used to have. But nobody puts on a show like Liza. <laughs> I, I mean, I would like I, I even if she didn't sing, although I would be devastated if I went to see her and she didn't sing and she just told you stories. It, she's fascinating and she's got so much yeah. life and energy. She's, I, I, I'm so upset that you, no, I'm you saying, don't I, get as her. a singer. No, I'm saying, I'm saying, now, as I said, when you filled in the blanks, when you show me stuff like Liza with a Z and you show me stuff like Cabaret, when I get you see it. like Liza with a Z, you're like, that is a oh, woman yeah. so on the top of her game. Well, the other example that, that let's kind just of, talk about Liza. All sure, the yeah, because that's, let's watch Liza stuff. That's what my show is about. Um, you know, going back like two weeks or so or three weeks, we watched a bunch of old Barbara Streisand movies all in a row. We watched like What's Up Doc and we watched Funny Girl. And I was like, And Barbara's who I never got. And I said to her, I was like, you know what? I get it now. Yeah, I think um, I had, I, for, I don't know why I'd never seen Funny Girl. I think it's because I had seen some of Barbara's stuff and it was like later years. And I, I've always been a big, I love divas. I love female, like, you know me. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, but like people, for me, it was like. Shows why you're married to me, really. Yeah. For me, for me, it was Liza and Bet and you know Patty Lupone and Bernadette Madonna. Peters, Madonna, and it was just Streisand was just this entity that I never understood. I don't know why I never saw Funny Girl. So we we were watching it, and halfway through, I was like, "Oh my god, I love her. She's yeah. fabulous." And the funny thing is, you were only half paying attention through What's Up Doc, where she is hysterical. But Cabaret, it's, you know, the, the you know if somebody wanted to watch a musical, that's one of the first ones I would hand them, for sure. Really? I think it's... Really? I think... I mean, you know it's one of my favorites. Yes. However, I think it's not what people... If someone's not into musicals, it is so not what people expect. Like, even when we've seen... Every time we've seen it live, the audience is so silent at the end because... But that's why I want... Because they're like, oh my God, Nasi showed up. What yeah. just happened? Yeah. Like, nobody's that's why I want them. people to see Cabaret because I think people... When they think musical, I think people think there's no business like show. You know, like I think that's what comes not, to mind. Nothing wrong with that either. Well, no, but I mean, if you were to show somebody a musical like that, or like Next to Normal, or like Spring Awakening, and show how dark the medium can go, right? When it wants to, that it can well, go to these what? places. I guess 
cabaret is a little safer to, to give people because I'm trying to remember. I don't think there's any musical numbers that aren't in con- that I think they contextualize. They're all in her head. They're all either in her head or she's actually performing on stage. Like there, there's no yeah. Um, kind of like how Chicago. when they made Chicago, but Chicago pushed the boundaries the further you get into the movie. At the beginning, they really made sure everything was set on a stage or set in someone's mind. Yeah. By the end, they started to play with it. So like, remember in the courtroom, and you saw one of like the um, a tap dance. Well, you saw the tap. No, but that was still imaginary. There's one shot where he's grilling um, the, oh, hu- the witness. Oh, he's grilling. Yeah, he's grilling. Um, John C. Riley. Yeah. I'm totally tired right now, so I'm forgetting everybody's name. I should know this. And they cut back, and he's confusing him, and it cuts back, and you see one of the girls from the kind of the fantasy number draped over John C. Riley. Right. And they start to break it so that by the end, they 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 started playing with reality. A little bit. So it's like people who aren't into musicals at first will be like, oh, this is acceptable because it's not really, people aren't really breaking out into song and dance, they're just imagining it. But then... So you would suggest Cabaret for somebody who is... Now that I'm thinking of it, because I'm I'm, I'm always iffy about, there's a lot of people who just flat out hate musicals and it's really hard to get them to watch it. But because Cabaret is set more in reality... Yeah, and it's dark. It's not singing in the rain where, where like... Hey, we've been up all night. Let's yeah. sing. <laughs> that's a good number. Um, for me, like... so. Where for me, that's what I love. I love it when people break out into song for no reason. So in combining the two uh, other side selections, my selection uh, is not nearly as old. My selection only goes back a few years to 2009. It was directed by Kenny Ortega. It's Michael Jackson's This Is It, which we saw... Let's watch that tonight, too. We don't have that. Um, oh, man. And it's not on Netflix. I looked. Uh, we saw that just after we got married. Um, that... Hap- that dropped the same year that Michael died um, and the first thing that came to mind both with Amy and with Michael Jackson This Is It is when you get movies like that there's always the idea that it's a cash grab Yeah, you know um, Amy Winehouse of course was very low on material unfortunately there was only like you know it's not one of these uh, situations like Prince when Prince kicks it, there's going to be music for years. Yeah. For years and years and years. Or the other film that you suggested that we alluded to earlier was Tupac Resurrection. When Tupac was shot, there was music for... Like, the running joke was that Tupac wasn't really gone. Because there was so much music that still came. And now, the reason why I originally was going to go with that movie isn't just because it was a singer who had died who they made a documentary about. It was in the storytelling of the film... That, I mean, if anyone who has... I would say the movie actually called... Tupac Resurrection. Tupac Resurrection. If anyone hasn't, hasn't seen it, even if you're not a fan of his, it is a film worth seeing. The way they have taken old interviews with him, old dialogue that he'd done, and they edited it in a way that he actually... Remember I said I don't like narration? Yeah. This is an exception. Right. He narrates his own death. Yeah. He narrates the entire film. There is proper... And it's not even just like little bits. Like, he narrates the entire movie. Yeah. The first line of this movie is, I got shot. I'm, oh, it's Which is so arresting. It's such a good film. And that's the thing. Like, Tupac was another one, because that movie came out in 2003. Tupac was killed, uh, like, 97, 96 in there. Um, So it was, again, it was very quick. Michael Jackson was the same year. So there's always this thought that you're just trying to cash in on something, but I don't feel as though this is it, is a cash grab, because... Also, I need to add to that. What's that? People always, whenever you make a documentary about anything, someone will always accuse you of trying to cash in on something. Sure. I work in documentaries. Yeah. Nobody makes a documentary for cash. 
Nobody. Uh, Even if a documentary... Remember, Mike, Michael's movie made money. It did. It didn't necessarily... There's a lot of ways they could have made money that are easier. There's so much work that goes into a documentary. There's other things that you can do to make money. So you don't think... Like, regardless of what we think of it artistically, you don't think that there was any intention with Amy of, to make money? Of course you always... And if anyone's doing this work... Oh, sorry, to you cash always, in. You always hope, yes, that my project will be successful. That's always a goal. But you... That's very different from saying, oh, this is something that's going to make money. Let's make a documentary. Okay. I really think that's a misconception that people think that is what happens. Yeah. They, they would have made this movie because they wanted to make this movie. Yeah. And then with their fingers crossed, yes, you, of course you don't want your, money not, your movie not to make money. Of yeah. course. The thing that I think This Is It does so damn well that we also see in, in Amy, as we discussed earlier, is it's a real demonstration of... Talent. talent. Michael Jackson yeah. by the end was, you know, he was he was a, he was a sideshow is what he was by the end, right? He was the guy who was constantly getting into court. He was the guy who had the great big house and the guy who you know started out with the chimp and hung around with little boys and covered his baby with a blanket and so on and so on. But you forget that at the end of the day, did he not the name way, his baby blanket? I think he did. Do you forget that the way he got there was through actual music? talent and in in this is it you're watching him along with watching him perform which holy crap wasn't there that great scene where he's like with one of the musicians he's like no no not like that do it like and he's i mean like fractions of a beat yeah and he's like no that's not you're not quite there yet yeah he's he's they're doing they're trying they're slightly rearranging the way you make me feel and michael's trying michael's articulating it to the best of his ability to somebody who's beneath him you know that which that's is everybody. which is everybody, which is the craziest. And not that the guy Michael doesn't really play. No, and I mean the but guy Michael was very talented. Can, yeah. It was just that he knew what he wanted, and he wanted it exactly how he had it in his head. And he it was one it. of those things that you know you hear it, no, 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 and then when Michael goes, he hits it. You're like, oh, okay, now I get it, and you understand what he heard in his head that he was trying to extract from this musician. Along with the fact that you're watching him dance and you're watching him move. And all of this is actually still only him at about like 75 or 80% because yeah. it's rehearsal. But there's there's another scene. Oh God, we watched this so long ago. I, I know. But I, mean, I but remember a lot of right it. right in your brain, ain't there's it? There's that scene where they're in rehearsal. When you sing in rehearsal, you don't actually sing. Yeah. You kind of have to sing. You maybe sing at 30%. Because yeah. you don't want to... You want to conserve your voice for the performance. So he's doing that, but everyone who's involved in the show is a fan of his. They're there because they love him. Yeah. So they all come and watch and in the end he's, you know, people are cheering him on. All the dancers are there. He starts to sing out a little more and by the end he's just singing it as if he would have sang it in the concert. And he's, he, I remember him going, oh, look what you guys made me do. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's just like smiling and everyone's happy because they got to see that private performance and it's just a great moment. There's another artist that's, uh, you know, kind of led astray by questionable parenting. Yeah, it's, um, Michael Jackson is an interesting person for me because I grew up with almost a rebellion against Michael Jackson. That fascinates me to no end. <laughs> it's, I grew up in a house where Michael Jackson may have just been God. Like, I, 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 I want to tell people that it is. you have no idea how appropriate it is right now that I'm talking to you and you are like sprawled on a couch. I really feel yeah. like this is therapy for you. <laughs> so please continue. Tell me more. Okay. What was your relationship with your mother? <laughs> well, we 
we could not say anything negative about Michael Jackson. Because? Because my mother probably should have just married him. Because that's, like, she's, I think, was the same age as him. And she grew up, like, since Michael Jackson. I think he was nine when he Your debuted. Your mom's totally going to hate that you she's just gonna hate her age. She's going to hate. But, you know, I think her whole life was, and my, my younger brother, it should be noted, his name is Michael Joseph. Yep. Not accidentally. Nope. So, when you grow up in a house where he's someone so revered, and it, I, I almost never heard, like, I knew all his music, but it was almost like I didn't really hear it because it was like, I don't like Michael Jackson. Yeah, you don't like what your parents like. No, I, it was just like a rebellion thing. It was like, and my, my brother or sister and I would, like, tease my mom about him. And uh, I remember once we got him, we got her for a gift because we found this, one of those, you know, like, magnetic dress-up kits. <laughs> it was like Michael Jackson and all his little outfits and the gloves. And She probably loved that. She probably did. So, wait a second. So, then when did you come around to Michael Jackson? It wasn't until I was a bit older... God, I don't even remember the moment, but I remember like, just listening. You must have been done, cre- like really creating music because after '95, like after history, everything kind of goes downhill really fast. The only exception, Invincible was a non-entity, and that was the last studio album he ever did. Yeah, the only exception that I probably ever made was Thriller. Well, everybody loved Thriller. It's, it's and it's not just that, as because I danced when I was young. Okay. The one I think the choreography in Thriller is in the Thriller video sure. is probably my favorite choreography yeah. ever, like in the history of anything. Okay, I love it. And so that was, you know, a thing. And then I, as I got older, I would be like, oh, I'm just going to listen to Thriller. And then, then you start to like, wow, that whole album's amazing. And then I would see performances here and there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess he can sing. And so we're talking like late teens here? or No, probably early 20s. Wow. It, it took me a, a long get, time. Like, it was just, I almost didn't see him because he was just. But because by that like, time, he, he was, was the sideshow. He, well, he, yeah, he stopped he was, being about his talent. He was that, and he was also just, oh, yeah, the thing that my mom loves. So it didn't yeah. seem cool. Like, yeah. it really did not seem cool for me to like Michael Jackson. When I see something like this is it, I just want to apologize to my mom, like, nonstop, because... You probably should next time you see I it. probably should. She's never watching, listening to this, so that's... That'll probably have to do it oh, separately. I'm gonna, I'm gonna point it towards <laughs> it now. Oh, my God, no, I actually do remember when I changed my mind. Oh, in, in college. Wow. Because we had to do... One thing I was always aware of is that he made the best music videos. They were yes. always short films. They weren't really music videos. They were true short films. Yeah. We had to do these... Oh, God, thinking back, it's so uncomfortable. We had to do... I took radio and television and film in college, and we had to do, um, like, a music VJ project. Okay. Where you, we had to, you, you had to do a treatment, right, for, for, no, no, for no, a video? We, no, 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 we had to... Well, that was a separate thing. But we oh, had, you had to, like, throw? We actually had to write and produce a music segment where we had to include two mu- music videos by one artist. We had to write a script... And I, I have it done. Can I go take that course? That sounds so awesome. I have it on a VHS tape in our storage locker. Oh! <gasps> You're never going to see oh, it. Oh, this is the best show ever. <laughs> You're never going to see it. Um, but it was called, like, Music Town. It was like, hi, I'm Lindsay from Music Town. And I had picked Michael Jackson. And the only reason why I picked him at the time was because this is before the internet because I'm old. Um, like, the internet was around, but, like, yeah, yeah. I didn't know how to, we had to provide, like, come up with this thing, and we had to provide two music videos. Where was I supposed to get music videos uh, instead, of, you know, rather than sitting at home with a VHS tape and taping them? So, Michael Jackson has released, like, you can go to a video store and buy discs with all his short films on them. Right. So, I did that. That was my fun college story. Gotcha. Um, you know, the other thing that I realized with This Is It and with Amy is... Sometimes you wish they just keep working. Like, how many times in the run-up to Michael's death did I tell you, he just needs to get in the studio. He just needs to work with some writers. He just needs to work with some producers. He just needs to crank out some songs. 
and forget about all this. Like, that is... Well, the, I mean, you know, it's... You know, don't get me wrong. If you don't feel it, you don't feel it. But that, that was the thing. Like, when Amy Winehouse was talking about how happiness for her would be not having any responsibility that she could just create music. Like, you get the feeling that if she Remember, could, they gave her a whole year to write an album. She wrote nothing. Like, well, she... Because she didn't feel it. You can't do anything about no, that. No, but I feel like after... Like, I, I, I kind of feel like when she hit the reset button after, after she kind of had her breakdown, I feel like she could have been the kind of thing where she was just recording and putting stuff out and just performing little shows and never touring and never and just cranking them out and cranking them out and cranking them out and especially in the age that we live in now where you can record something on Monday and have it out on Monday night right like I really feel like she would have taken all I'm thinking of right now is like Prince's vault yeah and that's the thing like when Prince kicks it we are gonna have music forever and that's what Prince and like the thing with Prince that's Prince he he has it in him to do that he has it in him to do that that. Prince is the kind of guy who goes in there records something amazing and deletes it let's not talk about that it upsets me I know I know but that's the thing I I, I get that impression when I watch This Is It and when I watch Amy and I always was like you know I just I I wish you even if you just wrote lyrics and gave them to somebody else or for Michael even if Michael just produced Somebody else's work. I feel like that might have kept them around a little while longer. Uh, you don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The The takeaway for me for This Is It is that um, when, when we saw it, I kind of wish that concert films came with more craft. Like a lot of the films that are out right now that are concert films are stuff like the Katy Perry one and the Bieber one and yeah, One Direction. Those, those are, kinds remember, of those are for a different, those are for a younger audience. I know, but this really, sh- like stuff like this and stuff like the ones that Scorsese does, they really show you what you can get when you get somebody good. That's my takeaway is that I wish that there were more concert films like This Is It because that's really well done. I wish there were more documentaries like Amy because it's really well done. I certainly wish there were more musicals like Cabaret because they show what the what the genre can do um so those are those are some uh films to go on to if you enjoyed amy um michael jackson this is it from 2009 or cabaret from 1972 we're gonna come back right after this with one more segment we're gonna go further down the spiral and close out the show after this short break i spent my days and i hung it Of course, the temptation here, given that we were talking, we talked so much music already, is just to go with more music. I kind of, I kind of believe that's where you're gonna go. Going further down the spiral, getting away from film in general. If somebody just came away from Amy and they want something to go along with it that's not film, that could be, you know, we're probably gonna talk music, but it could be anything, it could be TV, what have you. What did you uh, choose as something that uh, somebody could do as further reading? You're not gonna like what I'm gonna say because it's something I do that you don't like. Okay. It's no secret, I love a big female voice. Like, more than anything. I love women who can belt, like Amy Winehouse. Oh, I know where you're going with this. Okay. (laughs) This is what I do every night. YouTube is my best friend. Really? Something like, if you you know, something like this, if you want to find new voices, I scour YouTube and find um, just performances of women who have strong voices that I love. For me, it tends to be mainly Broadway act- actresses like Megan Hilty who can really like hit a note and Patti LuPone and Sutton Foster. I love all these people. Um, sometimes it's um, like Lena Hall from Hedwig also has a lot of rock shows that I watch as well. Okay. Um, I will admit when I'm in a theater, I do not want to see someone illegally recording something. I would punch them in the face. It's very annoying. Don't ever do it. That said, I'm very appreciative as someone who was not in a theater when this was happening, to find bootleg copies of 
performances that I would otherwise not. So what have you're a saying is, don't do it, but do it. Don't do it, but if someone else could, could do it, don't okay. be the jerk. But let's just hope somebody's the jerk. So the interesting thing here is that your proclivity in YouTube and you know watching YouTube performances, you're not all that interested in the people who are recording in their own little nook with a guitar. And doing their own take on a Amy Winehouse cover because that's really what generates. Oh, I mean, interest I've, I've on watched YouTube. those too. I, I've seen like a lot of interesting performances just from because that the recommended thing on the side. Like if you watch an Amy Winehouse performance, you know, if you click down the side, you might see like if you see something's got like millions of views and it's just some girl you don't recognize, click on it. It okay. might be something really interesting. Like I remember, I can't remember what song it wasn't an Amy Winehouse song, but I was listening to a song of something that I really liked and there was. I saw a thumbnail with a lot of views next to it, and it was just some girl with a ukulele. And yeah. I clicked on it, and I was like, "Oh, wow, that was a really great cover there's, of the song that, I just listened to." There's that to. band right now that's getting a lot of tr- uh, a lot of views and a lot of traction that do like bluegrassy versions or, or like jazzy twenties versions of like Lady Gaga songs yeah. and Taylor Swift songs. They're great. That kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. so do you have like a go to with a, with a YouTube clip? Like, is there, is there one that's like watched more that that would? go well with Amy? Is there one that oh, I, could I, mean, even, I, I could even embed for people in the in the show notes of this uh, oh, I don't episode? know one that would go well with Amy, other than like, look up a Lena, Lena Hall singing. Okay. Because she... So if I'm going to embed a Lena Hall clip, what am I going to... So you, you were saying like, there's there's videos of her performing with the Skibbies, for instance, that, that really makes something that, that makes up for something kind of cool? Yeah, or just, she, she's got a lot of um, she, a lot of these uh, broad, like people who've been on Broadway... They do a lot of, not club shows, but like... Open um, mic. A lot of open mic nights, and there's a lot of videos of them on stage. Lena Hall is one of my favorite people I will to admit, watch right the now. The only time I ever went into a YouTube sinkhole like that was I went and looked up a whole bunch of videos by Christine Milotti. Yes. Because she did. She does a lot of those open mic stuff, and like she covers Pearl Jam and stuff like that, and I, I found that really cool. Oh, she had a performance. She has a performance coming up in New York. I'm, I, I need to live there. Yeah, I think you do. So I'm actually going to go and suggest a record because the thing with Amy Winehouse when she passed away, I actually do remember specifically somebody saying, quick, somebody named three Amy Winehouse records. And I was like, you know, asshole, first of all. But I thought it's not about how much work you put out. It's, it's being able to recognize talent when it happens and being able to recognize when something has just been snuffed out too quick. Um, James you know, Dean only made like... Four movies, yeah. yeah. The one that I'm going to suggest is by far the one that I think is really a sign of somebody being gone too soon. From 1994, it's his only completed studio album, Grace, by Jeff Buckley, which is the one that, uh, you know, it includes a song that everybody thinks has been played to death, Hallelujah. Um, it includes a song called Last Goodbye, which is amazing. Grace. I never think a song has been played to death, because if it's a good song, it's a good song. No, but I mean, in an age of American Idol and The Voice and X Factor, there are certain songs that need to go away. I don't mind it. For a while, that was Fallen by Alicia Keys. Um, for a while, that was um, You're Gonna Love Me. You know, I'm, I'm Telling You I'm Not Going was one of those songs. Hey, if you can pull that song off, power to you. But most people it. can't pull it off. But the thing, so, you know, Jeff Buckley for me is the kind of talent who reminds me a lot of Amy Winehouse who just burned way too bright way too quick and didn't have a whole lot to show for it in the end like even you know these are people like um, Amy died at 27 I think Buckley was 30 but a lot of people when they're 27 they have a few albums to show for it Kurt Cobain had four you know The Doors had four or five Hendrix had three you know just because somebody is gone quickly it doesn't necessarily mean well they have to have this great big long track record to show for it so you know if, if 
remembering that Amy Winehouse was really good and just did so much so quick and couldn't do any more of that move on to somebody like Jeff Buckley who had the same thing happen and only got one finished album Amy at least got two plus this little rarities collection that followed her after Buckley only got one record he only got Grace and it's such an amazing record that I think people should you know should listen to that in the wake of Amy Winehouse see I didn't understand that like by that question you wanted me to pick like one specific thing I thought you just meant like a general thing that's why I no general thing is cool too because like in the past I've, cho- I've chosen like you know photography of, of these few things so no I like the idea of choosing YouTube videos of that that's nobody's mentioned that first of all like people have mentioned TV shows and records because and... I, I spend an insane amount of time I know. on YouTube in the evenings there we go so YouTube videos of Lena Hall, uh, Jeff Buckley, uh, the album is Grace. Uh, those are some places you could go after Amy that would uh, give you some uh, some added joy. And that's episode 141 of the Matinee Cast. Come on back on Monday, July 27th for episode 142. We'll be discussing Trainwreck, the new film starring Amy Schumer with... Uh, direction by, uh, by Judd Apatow. See, I should be on that show. Lindsay's working on a film right now of her own. For three years now, so hey, listen, so and counting. That's fine. Um, you're working on a film of your own. Um, tell people just a little bit about it and where they can find out more. The film is called Brangasm. It is a documentary about autonomous sensory meridian response, which is, if you aren't aware of it, it's a pleasant tingling feeling that you feel in your head or somewhere in your body that is triggered by auditory or visual stimuli. And it is not dirty. It is not sexual. Because it seems dirty. You're so wrong. Um, but if you if you ever type it in on YouTube, it's it's like that kind of feeling you'd get if someone would like, when kids draw on each other's backs or if someone plays your hair. But there's a lot of YouTube videos out there where people intentionally try to trigger this in you. It's almost like it gives you a nice feeling where, you know, it could be watching someone fold towels or opening candy wrappers or whispering in your ear. Um, so my documentary is about this phenomenon. So where can people find out about your documentary? Uh, they can look it up. I apologize for the current state of the website, but you can look it up at braingasm-film-dash-slash-dash-braingasm-film.com um, or you can look up Braingasm on Facebook. Uh, and are, are you guys on Twitter or you guys aren't really active on Twitter? Uh, we are, but we're not. You can look me up on Twitter at Lindsay Rigoni or feel free to go to Instagram and follow Lord Baelish dot the cat Dear God. if you would like to see um, Ryan and my uh, little one who's been very good through this whole thing I'm He's waiting for him to good. start chirping so I'm going to get this closed before he starts getting vocal my site is thematinee.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting you can also find them on Pocket Cast Stitcher Radio Blueberry Apple's podcast app and the iTunes store everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop feedback on Amy on Michael on Cabaret uh, can or on uh, Jeff Buckley or YouTube videos can be left in the uh, comment section of the site you can email me ryan at thematinee.ca twitter where I'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash darkmatinee any final thoughts? nope cool for Lindsay I'm Ryan we'll see you at the matinee so today